Oh man, it is nice to hear that jingle again. Did you miss it last week, Dominic? Yes, I did. It was quite a shock to have other music in an episode. Uh, other music. But yeah, listeners, you'll be happy to hear that everything's back to normal. It's all okay now. <laughs> Wait, what are you saying about my special episode? Your special episode was really lovely, Katie, and you did a great job. And I really liked, I really liked the music actually in the special episode. The funny, like plinky plonky music. Um, but sometimes you just want the normal thing as well. It wouldn't be the Europeans without the jingle that has been fondly described by one listener as Kraftwerk meets Eurovision. And we haven't talked about Eurovision yet. No, we haven't. Did you watch it? Uh, Kind of. I only saw the results because I was performing and it was very exciting because as listeners might know, I live in the Netherlands and the Netherlands won. And uh, yeah, congrats, Duncan Lawrence. Is that his name? Very English name, whatever his name is. You don't even know who he is. He had a really nice song called Arcade. Is he called? I'm just going to check out. Yeah, he is called Duncan Lawrence. It's a very English name. Um, he was winning. It was very exciting. It was very close between Sweden and the Netherlands. Um, Sweden were also very good. But I watched the results, was very excited, and then couldn't sleep for hours because I had too much adrenaline. Oh, like solely because of Eurovision. Also because I'd been performing, but it was a great triumph and I can't wait to go to Eurovision next year. Oh yeah, because it's going to be like in your hometown. Yeah, although I heard that it's like 500 euros for a ticket. If anyone knows how to get a press pass, then let me know. We're a famous European podcast, they've got to let us in. Another thing that we should talk about this week, but actually we're not going to, is the European elections, which took place a few days ago and the results have just been coming out. But at the time of recording, we don't have the results yet. So sorry, we're not going to talk about it this week, which maybe is a relief because it's probably all over the news and there's plenty of other stuff to talk about. Um, What are we going to be talking about instead? Uh, Instead, we're going to be looking into the potentially not too distant future and talking about a somewhat terrifying vision of future warfare with Ulrika Franke. She's someone who knows more about lethal autonomous weapons, also known as killer robots, than almost anyone and certainly more than us. So we're going to call her up and find out quite how terrified we should be. Good. Yay. That sounds really fun. I am looking forward to it. Uh, But first... Why don't we start with bad week? Because it's a bit of a juicy one this week. Last week was a very bad week for Austria's far-right Freedom Party, who had to withdraw from the coalition government after a video emerged in two German media outlets that showed the leader of the party and vice-chancellor of Austria, Heinz-Christian Strache, in a house in Ibiza, negotiating during a seven-hour meeting with a woman who was pretending to be the niece of a Russian oligarch, a guy called Igor Makarov. Igor Makarov, incidentally, doesn't actually have a niece. And it must have been a bit of a shock to Heinz Christian when he discovered that this had all been filmed. And yeah, he'd been filmed doing some pretty naughty things in exchange for promised political donations from this Russian oligarch. And also a promise for this Russian oligarch to take over one of the tabloids in Austria, which would have given the Freedom Party much wanted positive coverage in the press. I mean, this all sounds fine. Like, what's wrong with any of this? Yeah, that's not okay, Katie. Aw, but she was this really, like, hot Russian blonde woman, so... Yeah, and he was actually actually caught on camera also saying that she was hot, which was kind of a funny little embarrassing sidebar for him. 
So when the vice chancellor inevitably resigned, he said that the video was a honey trap directed by intelligence services. Ooh, was it? Uh, we don't know who directed it, but um, the honey trap element is arguable, yeah. In my opinion, that doesn't make Strache innocent. That said, there are some questions around the video. The sting operation was conducted in July of 2017, almost two years ago, and oh. it's only coming to light now. And why is that? Was it intended explicitly to damage the Freedom Party in the run-up to the European elections, perhaps? Um, is that just how politics works? And do we think that's fine? I guess it partly depends on who paid for the sting, which clearly had some money behind it. It's not clear at the time of recording who's behind it at all. And in general, there's a bit of mystery around this juiciest of political scandals. Um, as I said, we're recording before the European election results, but the polls suggested that the Freedom Party were going to see a drop in support of about five points compared to before the scandal, which is not such a huge drop, is it? Considering that he was trying to like sell off a whole bunch of stuff and basically like sell his own power, people are like, eh, it's all right. Yeah. And also, the other thing that surprised me was that the people who are benefiting from it, according to these polls, seem to be the Conservative Party of Chancellor Sebastian Kurz, who are the coalition partners of, or were the coalition partners of the Freedom Party. And you think they might be punished as well for having been bedfellows with, with this far-right morally corrupt party. It's a bit strange. We'll see what happens with the European election results. You probably all know, listeners, now, or you can probably Google it. One interesting thing is that when the Freedom Party came into power, it was like a big shock to the European political establishment. The party are actually openly pro-Kremlin and the BBC reported that some European intelligence agencies were wary of sharing intelligence with Austria whilst the Freedom Party have been in power. So it's a bad week for the Freedom Party, but perhaps a good week for the people of Austria who have been saved from being governed by a xenophobic party, a party whose first leader was in fact a former Nazi Party Minister of Agriculture. That gives you a taste of the Austrian Freedom Party. Mm, so not very nice then. No. And so fresh elections will be held in September. And who's to say that the Freedom Party don't manage to do well again? People have been like celebrating their demise, but they are already staging a comeback. And it may be that Austria are only breathing a temporary sigh of relief. This story is so juicy. Like, I really want to know who is behind this video. Like, there's so many people that could have been behind it. Yeah, people have been saying that it could be Russia, which I found really weird because the party are pro-Russia, so surely it's in Russia's interest for them to be in power. Oh, yeah. Unless, I guess, you think about the Russian goal as just, like, creating political chaos as opposed to actually having influential people in power that support them, which mm. arguably is the case. Um, do you have a theory? Yeah, I do. Um... One of the weird side effects of this story has been that... Do you remember that song, We're Going to Ibiza, by the Venga Boys? That, like, 1990s band. How could I forget? Uh, that song has gone to the top of the charts since this scandal broke in Austria. So what if this is all a massive um, ploy by the Venga Boys to get, like, back into the limelight? Oh, my God, it was the Venga Boys in... Ibiza filming him. That's genius. I mean, maybe slightly implausible, but what a great story that would be. I love it. 
Um, so maybe good week for the good week for the Venger boys. Yeah, great week for the Venger boys. Is that it? Sorted. No, I've got another good week. Okay, who else? Um, it's also been a good week for a German YouTuber called Riso. Yeah, es ist wieder Zeit für so ein Video. Riso is 26. He's from Aachen, which you might remember is that beautiful little town where I had that weird encounter with Emmanuel Macron last year. I remember just after you were dancing on stage for half an hour to entertain the crowd. <laughs> dance! They made me dance. It was horrible. Anyway, good times. Riso has basically launched a hand grenade into German politics this week uh, with one of his videos. It's an hour-long video ranting about how the mainstream parties in Germany are completely useless and they're not doing anything to stop climate change and they are just destroying the future for the next generation. And in Germany, as in most places really, YouTubers do not normally get to shape the political debate. But this one has racked up 7.5 million views in just a few days. That's amazing. Who watches an hour-long video on YouTube? I don't know if everyone's watched the whole thing, but... Okay. Still, it's a lot. Is that like a highlights version? Typical millennial, Dominic. You've got no attention span. It's true. Rizzo does have a long attention span and he made this hour-long takedown of the policies of Angela Merkel's Conservative Party, the CDU and her coalition partners, and not just their policies on fighting climate change. He also accuses them of widening the gap between rich and poor, having a bad policy on drugs, and basically just everything that they've ever done. He says it's just terrible. Genius! And he issues his call to everyone watching not to vote for the mainstream parties. He says it is time to destroy the CDU. You won't be surprised to hear that Merkel's party and its partners in the Grand Coalition, um, remember she has this big left-right coalition that has the socialists in it as well as the conservatives. None of them are very happy about this video. And lots of them have been coming out saying, like, who does this blue-haired oik think he is? They don't like his hair, by the way, it's, it's blue. Politicians have been complaining that loads of his video is wrong and that the accusations that Rizzo makes against the government aren't very fair. For what it's worth, a couple of German news organisations had done quite thorough fact-checks of everything he said, and it's a bit of a mixture. So Rizzo says he did weeks of research, but actually some of the data that he quotes for things like accusing the government of not fighting inequality is a little bit ropey. But when he complains that the government is missing its targets for cutting CO2 emissions and stuff like that, that is true, and he has got a point. So it's been a bit of a wake-up call for Germany's big parties this week, and they have been very much on the defensive. And it's been really interesting watching them try to engage with this guy who just comes from a completely different world from them. Uh, his video is very, like, young and YouTube-y. He's always sitting behind his mixing desk as he's giving this massive rant. He's a music producer normally, and it's very, very sweary. And he is using this platform that he had as this hugely influential young YouTuber to talk about politics for the first time. Like, usually his videos are about music or comedy. They're, they're not political polemics like this. Whether or not it will have influenced how people voted in Germany on Sunday or how many people come out and vote, that's a really interesting question. We might not ever have an answer to it. Um, he does encourage people to vote in the video. He says, don't vote for the mainstream parties and don't vote for the far right, but do go out and vote. So basically he's saying vote for the Green Party. Or some other little parties as well, maybe like other small leftist parties. Um, so yeah, maybe the Greens will get a little boost from him. They're already forecast to do pretty well in Germany, so... Honestly, it'll be quite difficult to see if they get any more as a result of the Hizo effect. But yeah, from the outside, it's been just kind of fascinating to watch this YouTuber changing the political conversation in Germany, even if it's like really briefly. I wonder whether this phenomenon could happen in other European countries. I feel like it's so unlikely this would ever happen in the UK. What, a YouTuber specifically, like causing a massive political ruckus? Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's unlikely in Germany as well. Maybe it's just like a really incredible set of circumstances. He's got this like a very specific charisma. I, I don't think he does. If you watch it, I mean, it looks it looks kind of like a standard YouTube video by like a young influencer. But I don't really know how young person stuff works anyway, because I'm really old. Well, I'm going to Germany tomorrow, so I will hunt for some youths and ask them what they thought about his video hello young person what do you think of Rito? um but anyway i think we can definitely call it a very good week for him not least because he has gained about 150,000 followers since i last checked ka-ching let's leave the muckiness of politics in 2019 behind us for a bit and turn instead to the possibly terrifying future um tell us a bit about this week's guest dominic We're going to be speaking to Ulrika Franke, who's a policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations, and she's a specialist in drones and technology in the military more broadly. We wanted to find out a bit about the dilemmas around the increasing use of drones in warfare and also, perhaps more terrifyingly, the machines known as lethal autonomous weapons that are kind of what they say on the tin. They are autonomous weapons that can kill people and destroy buildings. So we called up Ulrika to find out if this is all as terrifying as it seems to be on the surface. In terms of like the changes in recent years that have been coming up, I guess we're talking about things like artificial intelligence as well as drones. Um, Can you give a very quick guide to uh, like non-defense experts like me and Dominic? How are technologies like that changing the way that countries defend themselves? I mean, in a way, this is really the the one million dollar question. Um, We don't know yet, I'd say. So, for example, AI-enabled autonomy can create or can help create such things as autonomous drones, autonomous weapons, swarms of drones, these kind of things. But at the moment, a lot of this is still in development. I mean, it's somewhat used, but not quite. What we are seeing on the battlefield already, of course, are, you know, less AI-enabled stuff, but um, things such as drones, so remotely piloted systems that, you know, can be used for all kinds of things. When we think about drones, we often think about armed systems, and we think a lot about, you know, the United States' use of drones for targeted killings outside of official battle zones, which, of course, is politically an important thing. But militarily, I think that smaller unarmed systems which provide, you know, 24 hour, seven days a week um, surveillance and reconnaissance for the military, that may actually be more revolutionary or more fundamental. So here we really have an important change in the sense that it's not quite lifting the fog of war, but we have a much better what we call battle space awareness. So just generally better view of of what's going on on a battlefield. Most of the drones that are in use today are controlled remotely, so they're not autonomous. But they are developing and, in fact, using some autonomous drones already. Um, What are the big ethical questions around the autonomy of, of these machines? Is that something you've looked into in your research? It depends a bit on what exactly you're thinking of. But if you're thinking of lethal autonomous weapon systems, so systems that possibly decide over life and death or decide to kill humans possibly um, by themselves, that of course is a huge ethical question. Do we as a society want to delegate that kind of question to a machine? Is that okay from a, from a 
moral standpoint and a lot of philosophers or ethicists say no it actually isn't you can't delegate that decision there needs to be someone to take responsibility I'm kind of interested in like the language, like new expressions that are popping up as this technology changes. And uh, yeah, on a related note, this expression killer robots you hear sometimes, Mm -hmm. which sounds like really intrinsically scary. Yeah, that's why it's used. Like what are they, first of all? I mean, I personally try not to use the term killer robot, although on Twitter, of course, it's a a great hashtag. It's much better than lethal autonomous weapon systems. (laughs) Normally when people say killer robots, and there is actually, there is a campaign, um, the campaign to stop killer robots, right? They have it in their name. So most notably, um, killer robots really is about the final decision of engaging or using a weapon and you know possibly targeting a person or or something if that decision is made by a machine an algorithm rather than a human people usually talk about killer robots you can imagine systems where basically everything is automated so target acquisition or or data analysis up to the point of engaging or using a weapon and then you have a person sit in make that decision which I would say is still you know a pretty autonomous system but you would have a person in the loop and this is exactly these kind of systems where we talk a lot about because there's a question of is this enough human control is this what we call meaningful human control or does the person at the end of this automated chain just become a a button pressing uh, monkey basically and do you personally think there should be some kind of international ban on certain types of autonomous lethal autonomous weapons the thing is i'm a bit skeptical regarding the ban because i think it is unlikely that we're gonna get to a ban and if we do it's gonna be on something very specific so it's gonna be easy to work around it. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think that the debates around this are incredibly important because what I want is a societal debate on, you know, whether we can delegate decisions over life and death to machines. Because of course, you know, there are advantages of doing that, potential advantages. Um, This could help to reduce, let's say, civilian casualties. If it does, again, can we delegate this decision? Would it it be better if a machine is better than a human? Personally, I... (sighs) I don't think that the ban really is going to help much. Um, Do we have any kind of regulation in Europe already on the kind of like wider technologies like drones and AI they use for like military purposes? Does that regulation exist or is there just nothing at all? Is it kind of Wild West? There are a bunch of regulations that just apply in general to warfare, right? I mean, international humanitarian law is the most important one. So it's not as if for every new technology, you kind of need to reinvent the wheel. You know, when European armed forces use drones in their military operations, they need to operate them following exactly the same laws as they would if they were operating, let's say, manned aircrafts or helicopters or, you know, tanks. So you're not allowed to commit war crimes just because you're using a, a new technology. Um, There aren't specific rules with regard to uh, how you're allowed to use drones or or use AI-enabled systems. But there are discussions about whether we can put some of such rules in place. There have been debate about, you know, rules on on exporting these systems, on on selling them, um, etc. But um, no, for now, basically, the, the, the normal rules of warfare really apply. Are there countries in Europe or anywhere else, I guess probably America, that are doing like particularly innovative or advanced things with drones and AI? 
Yes. So it's logical that the biggest powers are pursuing artificially enabled systems more than others. So a lot of interesting research and developments on, let's say, drone swarms, for instance, for which you need AI-enabled autonomy and AI in general, a lot of it comes out of the US. What's a drone swarm? <laughs> a drone swarm is basically <laughs> a lot of drones working together. Oh. So a drone swarm is, you know, anything between, I don't know, 10 or so to 100 or even thousands of drone systems. And the thing is, it's not just a bunch of drones. It's a bunch of drones working together as one or working in concert. Drone swarms potentially give you a lot of interesting new military capabilities. You can do waves of attacks, for instance. There are countries looking into this. Of course, the United States, of course, China. But actually in Europe, I mean, there are two systems that are currently in development that I find quite interesting. One in the UK, that's the BAE Tyrannus drone and one in France though it's a pan-european system and that's called the neuron drone these are highly autonomous combat drones and both of these are in development they are at the demonstrator phase so they're being tested but they aren't used yet and these are actually kind of you know pretty highly autonomous systems um, so it's it's not as if you know Europe isn't working on this when you imagine like what defense is going to look like in 20 years time say, does the idea of humans flying in planes and trying to shoot each other, does that just seem like something that's going to be a thing of the past? Uh, I don't know. I mean, number one, never leave out the human. I always, I always want to emphasize that with all this new technology, I always just think about this as yet another layer on warfare. So what I mean by that is that you may have a situation where machines fight machines or machines fight humans, but in the end, you know, the human is still somewhere in there and the human is still at the end dying. And this is really important to to remember. This isn't a bloodless warfare. There are a lot of claims about, you know, the current fighter jets being the last manned fighter. That could be true. I mean, it, does, it depends a bit on how the the technology develops. It is actually quite difficult to do certain things by remote control, so-called dogfights, where one aircraft fights another. At this point, our drones couldn't do this because as they are remotely controlled, you kind of have a, a few seconds or so lag between the command being given to a drone and the drone actually carrying it out. If we develop that, we could imagine, you know, autonomous dogfights in, in the skies. But um I mean, yeah, maybe maybe we don't have humans in the sky anymore in warfare, but humans will certainly be somewhere on the battlefield or certainly be, be affected by warfare. And that's really, really important to remember because otherwise it just sounds like, yeah, great, we're going to send in the robots and the robots going to fight it out. That's not what we're going to see. Do you ever have any fear that if more autonomous machines are built that have lethal capacity that we might in some kind of sci-fi future be turned on by the robots or is that a totally fanciful suggestion? <laughs> I mean, no one knows. That's <laughs> the first, first answer. No one really knows where AI develops. I'm less worried about being killed by a Terminator turning against me than by many other steps of the way to that potential future. So for instance, what I really quite worry about when it comes to, you know, using these autonomous systems are two political potential consequences, namely arms races and a so-called flash war. I see a real danger here that if one country, one actor decides to use 
highly autonomous lethal systems, other countries will feel the need that they have to respond in kind because you may feel that if your adversary has them, you also need them to defend against. And the other potential consequence of these systems being developed more is what we call flash wars. So you may have heard of flash crashes in the financial market where, you know, something unexpected happens and computer algorithms react to this unexpected event and then one algorithm reacts to another and within you know seconds or even milliseconds the market crashes because there's you know some, some something is going wrong and there's a there's a chain reaction and you can imagine you know the more you have such algorithms at work in the military realm you can imagine that something similar could happen there an algorithm reacts a counter algorithm reacts and we all of a sudden we are in a war basically to put it bluntly in a way, I think it's more likely that that's going to kill us, that the Terminator turning against us, although the Terminator is interesting to to think about. I hope you're right. I mean, we'll call you back again after they turn on us and have another chat. <laughs> um, moving away from defence slightly, something that kept you busy over Christmas was these drones that suddenly appeared at Gatwick Airport in London mm-hmm. and shut the airport down for like a day and a half because authorities were worried that one of them could cause an accident. And then I think there was a second shutdown, wasn't there, a couple of days later or something? Yeah, yeah, for a little while. Yeah, just as I was landing at Gatwick, in fact, back from New Zealand, oh, yeah. I, I was the last plane to land. Is this you trying to just stress that it wasn't you, Dominic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely wasn't me because I was on the plane. <laughs> okay. Um, but this isn't just a Gatwick thing, is it, Ulrike? Like, I think I saw a chart that you tweeted. There actually the same thing happening like a lot in Germany, for instance. I mean, this really happens all over. It's interesting because, you know, our, our attention still remains rather national, right? We only think about this stuff when it happens directly to us. Mm. I have to admit Gatwick was exceptional in so far as it shut down the airport for so long. I think it was like 36 hours or something. So that is really rare. That hasn't happened before. However, drones interrupting airport operations has happened, I mean, hundreds of times, really. There was indeed this chart I tweeted the other day on um, German airports that showed how Frankfurt Airport, which is the biggest and busiest German airport, has been interrupted several times because of drone sightings. There are a bunch of airports that are interrupted. And is it mostly just kind of like pranksters doing it or people trying to disrupt airports? I don't know, because they're like environmental activists or is it just, do we have no idea? We have no idea. I mean, most of the time, and this is kind of what's scary about it, you have these drone sightings and not just over airports, but also there was a series of drone sightings over French nuclear power plants, like a bunch of them. And we still don't know what that was. Was it, you know, I don't know, a terrorist group trying to spy on these systems to see whether they could carry out an attack? Was it, you know, teenagers trying to find out what's going on in nuclear plans? We have no idea. And the same with, with the airports. It can be people that just want like really cool shots of starting and landing aircraft, or it can indeed be people that just want to interrupt this. I was just amazed that they weren't able to catch it. It's funny because on the one hand, when you think about warfare, kind of going back to the defense realm, the drones that are currently in the market, whether it be civilian or military, these would be shot down and captured rather quickly in the event of an actual war, so they wouldn't play like a major role. However, in a civilian context, it's actually rather difficult to bring them down. You can't have anti-drone systems everywhere. It's also rather expensive sometimes to shoot them down. And so the other day, I actually was at this event, at this exhibition, where the police showed off all their anti-drone systems. And it really ranges from net and net throwers to 
jamming systems. Um, you may have seen these amazing pictures of the French and Dutch police that are trying to train eagles to fight rogue drones. I mean, yes. I'm actually talking about birds, right? Um, so if you haven't seen that yet, look that up. These are amazing pictures. It doesn't seem to work like particularly well but I mean it just shows how how tricky this is and um, I always say you know whoever develops a anti-drone system that is mobile and not too expensive they're going to make a lot of money out of this because this is this is really quite quite tricky that's what we need to do Dominic we need to quit podcasting and focus our attention on this money-making scheme (laughs) great idea Do you know what? I forgot to ask Ulrika. No. I forgot to ask if she actually owned a drone herself. Oh, yeah. That would have been such a good question. Have you ever flown a drone? No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah, my, my boyfriend's brother got one for Christmas, I think last year, like a little mini one that you can just kind of remote control around the house. And he accidentally flew it into the dog and it got really badly caught up in the dog's hair. And the dog was really unhappy. So that was the end of drones in this household. This is not a light hearted story. I should be calling the RSPCA. The dog was fine. We just cut it out of his hair. You had to cut it out. He's probably a little bit traumatized now. It's really not funny. Drones are dangerous. They are. Well, we definitely need a happy ending now then. So my happy ending this week is a kind of part two from our sheep happy ending from a few weeks ago. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. I talked about a group of parents who'd registered 15 sheep at their local school in France to make up the numbers for a class. They were trying to make a serious point, drawing attention to the fact that there's this much criticized rule in France whereby you have to have a certain number of students signed up for schools in order to keep classes open. Leading to the fact that sometimes if just like one or two students move away, a whole class has to be cut. Anyway, this issue is affecting other towns and there's another French village, in fact, which is struggling with this problem. And the mayor of that town also came up with an ingenious plan for solving the impending closure of a few classes and actually maybe the entire school in this village's case, which was due to a declining population. So his idea was to offer free Viagra for couples between the age of 18 and 40 in order to promote a bit more copulating and hopefully a few more births. Oh my God. Yeah, and the offer isn't only open to current residents. It's been offered to any couples that might want to move to the area. Now, a freebie is always good in my books, but there have been some questions about the legality of this. Viagra is actually only available in France on prescription, so I don't think he can actually do it. But simply for his bold attention-grabbing idea, I think this French mayor can sit proud and erect in our happy ending slot. Jesus Christ, Dominic. You're going to get us kicked off the internet. I just said he could sit erect. There's nothing wrong with that. Stop it. Stop saying that word. Many thanks to Juan on our Patreon group for flagging this up. He's great at sharing stories with us, the weird and wonderful things that happen in Europe. And I would have missed this one otherwise. I was wondering, Katie, do you think that there's some like trendy marketing agency that's helping all these villagers come up with headline grabbing ideas in order to draw attention to this classroom numbers threshold policy? There do seem to be a lot of like really media savvy mayors around. 
Although this one also seems to be a drug pusher. Maybe he's working for some massive like big pharma company or something. Yeah, I actually, when I think about it, does Viagra improve birth rate? I'm not sure just like giving people Viagra is going to help. We need to wrap up now, but I just wanted to thank the big number of you who tuned into our special elections episode last week. We are really pleased to see that so many of you, just like us, learned something about the EU Parliament, and it seems like you didn't pass out of boredom in the meantime, or at least we haven't had any reports of that yet. Um, It's because they're still unconscious. uh, Yeah, that's true. Oh, shit. Um, if you miss it, then go back and listen. It's very relevant this week. What with the election results coming in, we'll be making more special episodes aiming at bursting the Brussels bubble. And if you have any questions you want answering about what goes on in any of the institutions, then please do drop us a tweet, an email, or even a voice memo. That would make us very happy. You can email us or send us that voice memo on europeanspodcast at gmail.com. Throw us a tweet at europeanspod or send us some pictures on Instagram at europeans podcast and we're also on facebook if you type in the name of this very podcast but we're serious we want to know what it is that you don't know about the eu institutions and what you'd like us to investigate for you it can be really stupid questions because believe you me we have some stupid questions ourselves and we've been making a podcast about europe for a year and a half a big thanks as always to the very generous listeners who are supporting us on patreon particularly two new people who started chipping into our little fun this week yaku kahu and dirk yankok if you too would like to help us keep the show running you can do so at patreon.com forward slash europeans podcast i really want to play us out with the venga boys this week but unfortunately we don't have the rights so you're gonna have to pull up with our suitably euro pop outro jingle instead see you next week everyone we're going to Ibiza. I can't even remember how the tune was. <laughs> there you go. That'll do. Bye. Bye. <laughs>